chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, have come across the VeggieTales series, the, the kind of cartoons um, uh, developed for children that tell biblical stories. And whenever I hear this story... Um, 
of Daniel and his friends. I can't get past Rakshak and Benny instead of their, uh, their full names. So that, that's immediately where my brain goes, but uh, thank you for that. I'm going to invite Ben to come and speak to us, um, but just before he does so, I'll just right. pray for you quickly, if that's okay. That's yeah. Great stuff. Lord God, just be with Ben as he comes to speak to us. Uh, remind him of those words that you've laid upon his heart. May the Spirit speak through him mm-hmm. and bless each and every one of us as we hear what it is that he's prepared um, under your guidance uh, to speak to us today. For we ask it all in through your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Rachel, for reading as well. Um, we're in the book of Daniel. We've started a, a week later than we planned, but we are in the book of Daniel. And I wonder, uh, when I say to you, the book of Daniel in the Bible, what do you think of? When I say the book of Daniel in the Bible, what do you think of? I- I'm guessing... It might be Daniel and the lion's den, maybe um, Daniel and uh, the handwriting on the wall, maybe, or the fiery furnace. Uh, Why? Because if you grew up around church, those are great stories, aren't they? They're the stories that you were probably taught uh, in Sunday school. Uh, You knew these stories, uh, and they are. They're great stories to tell to young ones. That's partly why children's church are looking at these same stories these few weeks. But but is that all they are? You see, there's a bit of a danger as we come to the book of Daniel uh, that we think, I-, I know these stories. And we miss out on the profoundly challenging, uh, the deep questions that the book of Daniel asks us. You see, the book of Daniel, it, it asks us the question, can-, can we still trust God when the worst case scenario is the present case scenario? Can we still trust God when the tears outweigh the laughs or laughs three to one? Can we still trust God when it feels dark and difficult? And actually, not just individually, but but nationally. Can we trust God when when that's true nationally, that nationally it feels like the dark days are as dark as they can get? You see, in Daniel 1, For the Jewish people, this is as low as it can get. Over these last uh, 10 days or so, we as a nation have been mourning uh, the death of Her Majesty the Queen. But we actually can't hold a candle to the depth of mourning that's going on in Daniel 1. Uh, So to kind of help us with that, what I I thought I'd do, if it's okay with you, is I'm going to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour uh, of God's people up to this point so that we can understand quite how devastating Daniel 1 is. Okay, so pop on a seatbelt, uh, come with me. We're going to go back uh, to a guy called Abraham or Abram. God changed his name uh, and, uh, and God made him a promise. He said, uh, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you uh, a land. Uh, and so um, God makes this promise to, uh, to Abraham as, he, as his name becomes. Uh, and sure enough, his family become this great nation. Um, they become a great nation who's actually enslaved by another nation. Uh, And so God, uh, he calls his people out from that nation uh, and he gives them a land, uh, the land uh, whose capital actually is Jerusalem. So for God's people, that land meant a huge amount to them. Jerusalem, it was, it was a pillar of their kind of cultural, uh, their cultural heritage, uh, God's people given this land by God. And what's more, as God brought them out of the land, God also showed them who he was. He revealed to them his name, that he was Yahweh, the covenant God of the Israelites. And as he revealed that, he he showed that he was unparalleled amongst the gods of the time in his wholehearted commitment to justice 
and to goodness and to kind of moral rightness. And, and that, was, that, that set him apart from the other gods. It set him actually apart from every human at the time or indeed ever since other than one. The Bible's shorthand for that wholehearted passion uh, for, his, uh, for, his, for justice and goodness is holiness. He showed him to be a, a holy God. So that was the second pillar uh, that, these, uh, that the Israelites would have had. They would have had uh, their land. They would have had Yahweh, their covenant God. Uh, they also would have had a temple. Temple, somebody's described it once as like God's embassy on earth, a place where people could go and meet with God, and God could meet with his people. Uh, and, and that was there in the middle of Jerusalem, and it was where people would go to meet with God. The temple, the third thing. And, and finally, their king. Years later, as, uh, as this nation grew, God promised them and gave them uh, a king. And, and as he gave them a king, he said, uh, the, your king is to, to reveal something of me to you, but one day there's going to be a king who's going to do that fully. One day there will come a king in this line uh, who's going to do that in a whole uh, complete sense in a new way. We'll come back to him uh, later on. So the king, the temple, Yahweh their God, and their land. Those would be the things that would set them apart as God's people. Listen to Daniel 1, verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of, king of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The king besieged Jerusalem, besieged, later invaded the land has been taken over. Verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Suddenly, the temple, even that sacred embassy, was invaded. Suddenly, God, Yahweh, Well, he was humiliated. His stuff couldn't even be looked after. It was in the Babylonian uh, temple under their God. Do you see how this this is destruction on a level far greater than our country has ever known, at least in recent history? This is is complete destruction of, of who they are as a people. This is as dark as it gets. And yet, even as I say that, we haven't experienced it this much, but we have, we have experienced some destruction in our country, haven't we? With the death of the queen, at least part of the worries that we have is actually other things that she stood for going to carry on. Uh, what's that going to look like? Are those going to uh, stick around or, or are they going to fade into the background? Over the past few years, we've seen formerly kind of trusted sources of authority taking a bit of a backseat, haven't we? This is part of the rise of the whole fake news phenomenon that mainstream media now takes a bit of a backseat. In fact, within our culture, and if you're here and you're a Christian, this perhaps is the most concerning, we look at the church and we see that that has been sidelined, hemorrhaging numbers, collapsing around us. If we're honest, we've got the new um, census data coming out soon. A lot of us are wondering just how big the decline's going to be in church attendance. And so perhaps, just as the Israelites might ask, we might ask, how can we trust God at a time like this? 
How can we trust God when it seems to be going downhill, where he seems to be humiliated? But perhaps it gets even more confusing, even more of a hard question. How can we trust God when that seems to be allowed by him? Verse 2, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. See, it's not like God tried really hard and just was defeated. You know, his heart's in the right place, but he just couldn't quite do it. No, no, this is the Lord delivering his people over, the Lord allowing this to happen. How can we trust him if he's doing that? Remember who the Lord is, though. Remember uh, who he revealed himself to be, this God who is uh, unparalleledly, uh, conf- he's concerned with justice and goodness and uprightness. That's who we saw him to be. And throughout the time, just before Daniel, what we see is again and again and again, God's kings, instead of leading them towards God, instead of upholding justice, doing the opposite. Injustice is ruling. God is forgotten. People are living in all sorts of ways as if they were the king. And so God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet. People who would come and say, look, you're not going my way. One of them says, let's reason together. The Lord wants to reason with you. Why is there such injustice? Why does injustice roll? And you're quite happy. The rich get richer, the poor, well, they suffer. Why is it that you've got all these altars to other gods going on? How can I show you? How can I show you the dangerousness of that, says Yahweh? Until eventually, In Isaiah, a a number of years before it happened, he makes this promise to a former king of Israel. He says this, The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have stored up to this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says Yahweh. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, will be born to you. They will be taken away. They will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. God makes this promise. Why? He is so committed to justice and goodness and moral uprightness that he is willing to humble even himself in order to show the extent of the danger of walking away from that. But when God's humbled, what happens? When God takes a back seat, what happens? Does the the nation become atheist? Well, no. No. You see, when God takes a backseat, other things, individuals and ideologies, they step up into that place of God. And that's actually what Nebuchadnezzar does. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, do you see what he does? Uh, He takes for himself a people. Remember that? Verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning and well-informed. He teaches them his ways. Do you remember that? He set somebody and he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. End of verse 4. He provides for those people. He's the one who provides food. Verse 5. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And he even changes their name. Remember how Yahweh changed Abram's name to Abraham? Well, here, king, the king of Babylon says, You'll no longer be known as 
Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, names that have that embarrassing name of Yahweh in them. Azariah from Yahweh, Daniel, El being God. Let's, let's remove that from your names. Let's give you Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rakshak, and Benny uh, for you, Chris. He changes their names. Do you see what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? Nebuchadnezzar is stepping into the place of God. God is embarrassed, is humbled, and so up steps Nebuchadnezzar. See, when when God is sidelined, it's not that we end up with no God, it's that we end up with all sorts of gods. Look at some of the um, atheist regimes. How the dictator so often became God, the one with power over life and death. Look at Pol Pot, power over life and death. But look, too, at our ideology. This is so often the case, uh, that we live in a world that says, uh, I can, um, if you would only agree, if you will only go along with me, if you will only go along with the zeitgeist of the world around us, uh, then that's where you receive life and health. And, and that's where things will, will flourish. Uh, step away from that and you will be ostracized. You will be sidelined. Stand up and say there is one way to God. You, you, you'll be sidelined. We see this. This is how advertising works. Uh, look, at, look at the way in which teenagers head off to school. And so often, what are they worried about? Am I wearing the right things? Have I got the right trainers? Uh, am, I, am I into the right things? Because if I stand out, I'll be laughed at. Look at adverts on the TV that subtly tell you, if, if you have that latest iPhone, if you have that latest car, that's what's going to bring you life. Hey, you want a happy family life? Go on a two-e holiday. That's what you're going to remember at the end of your life. This is how advertising works, claiming to give life. And to the extent that we buy into it, is to the extent that we allow it to do so. See, where, there's, where God's sidelined, all sorts of other things become God, but they don't last. Did you notice that slightly odd phrase? And it'll become more odd next week when we look a bit more uh, at, at, this, um, uh, at this book. But uh, verse 21, it says, Daniel remained there until the first year of Cyrus. Now, Cyrus... There's another king, he's coming, but he's not coming for another six chapters. Like, that's, that's a fairly long way away from this. So, so why is it that in the, chapter one, that suddenly Cyrus has kind of dropped in there? Well, he's dropped in there for this reason. Daniel is there at a place where Nebuchadnezzar looks like God, the one who gives and provides. And yet, Daniel the man is going to outlast Babylon the empire. Daniel the man is going to outlast the empire. You see, God humbles himself, but he will not remain humble. And so how do we respond then as God's people? Do we say, okay, well, there are lots of things claiming to be God. Uh, uh, This is an evil culture. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to step away. I'm going to go and live uh, in a convent somewhere, and, uh, and and that's me. Well, no, that's not what Daniel does. As we look at the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel, he, he does go to those lessons. He does learn the way of the Babylonians. Uh, elsewhere, he's even called um, by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Uh, he, he's given that name. He, he works with that. And yet Daniel, living in that culture and working for the good of that culture, needs to remind himself, there needs to be a place where I know that I'm not going to 
allow Nebuchadnezzar to become God in my life. I'm going to remind myself that I truly trust in Yahweh and not in Nebuchadnezzar for my life and my health and my future and my flourishing. And so what Daniel does is he draws a line in the sand. And it's the line of the food that that he's going to eat. Now, I could sit and chat with you for hours and quite happily do so uh, about what it is about the food or what it isn't about the food that that, that means that Daniel particularly chooses this line. Uh, Where I've come to on this is that it's not actually so much about the food itself. But this is a place where Daniel says, I am going to put a marker in my life somewhere where I'm going to limit my freedom in order to remind me that Nebuchadnezzar isn't God, in order to remind me that it's not him who's giving me life and health and happiness. And so Daniel, he he limits his freedom, says, I'm not going to eat that food. My friends, we live in a culture that so often is uh, offering us all sorts of alternatives, all sorts of things that will give us life. Maybe as Christians, there are times when we need to say, I'm going to limit my freedom in order to remind me that my God isn't this world, but is the God of the Bible. It might be that I'm going to limit my freedom and read my Bible before I read the newspaper or the news app on my phone. Because that's a place where I need to start my day by reminding myself of truth and not opinion. It it might be that I think actually social media is an area that, that so often I think will give me life and satisfaction. I need to stop myself. I need to set a timer to say I'm not going to spend as much time on social media. I don't know what it would look like for you. Maybe it's resolving not to buy the latest whatever. Where are those places where you're putting markers in the sand saying, uh, this is a reminder to me that these things don't give me life, but life comes from God. Because as Daniel does that, an amazing thing happens. You see, Daniel, there he is living in this world. He's setting this, uh, this reminder with the food. And we see God blesses him and uses him, even in this society. Uh, so we see God gives him um, uh, honor before the official. Verse 9, and now God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God gives him good health, even though he's eating essentially salads for all his meals. Uh, he, he's there in front, of, uh, in front of the official. The official's worried about uh, whether Daniel will, will flourish like the others. He eats salads, and at the end of 10 days, we're told that, verse 15, at the end of 10 days, he looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men. God also gives him knowledge. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So much so that by verse 20, the end of verse 20, we see uh, that when Nebuchadnezzar talks with him, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. See, God uses his faithful servants to reveal who he is. As his faithful servants live with Yahweh as their king and not Nebuchadnezzar, he uses them in that culture. He brings them to a place where as we go through Daniel, we're going to see uh, Daniel and, and his friends being able to speak of that God of holiness. But boy, that can be hard, can't it? To draw those lines, to remember who our God is. And yet if Daniel can do it, can we not do it all the more? Because we've seen, haven't we, that promised king, 
the one other person who came and who lived the life that was full of justice and kindness and goodness and moral uprightness. We've seen as God uh, humbled himself to the grave, they're taking the place of you and me who don't live like that. Uh, They're showing his utter commitment to living a holy life. There as Jesus himself dies in our place in order to offer us relationship with God. We'll remember it later as Ali leads us through communion. We'll see once more that this is the place where God shows his justice and the seriousness of rejecting him, but also his mercy, because God doesn't stay humble. No, he was raised from the dead, and one day he will usher in a kingdom where no one and nothing will ever rival him, where nothing will take away from the perfection that he has created. And so, my friends, that means that if we are Christians here today, we can live in this culture. We can draw our lines. We can look to the Lord as our king and and look to him for life, knowing he was humbled for us and that his kingdom is coming and that we will reign with him. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for Jesus. Father, we recognize that without him, we're not morally upright. We're not full of justice. We're so skewed. We recognize that without him, when things get difficult, we've got nowhere to look for hope. Help us, Father, in a world that often doesn't know you, to be those who speak and live for you. Give us wisdom, I pray, going away from here, to know where are those places that maybe we're just, in, just tempted to think this is giving me life rather than you. Help us, Father, to bring those things under your lordship. And help us as we celebrate communion to remember the God who is so committed to holiness that he would humble himself for us and yet so committed to us that he would go through the grave in order that we can be right with him. Amen. In our next...